0: Today, we have another cross-podcast event, a doubleheader we're going to be discussing. The Fanatic. All right, you're going to help me make some fucking
1: cast, bitch. <laughs> I wish Freddy Krueger would come and chop off your head, and it would roll in the street, and a truck would squish it, and the blood would splatter everywhere, and everyone would watch it.
0: With me tonight is Jerry Jensen, host of Ratings, and Jacob A. Miller, host of Dissecting Cinema. How are you fellas doing
2: tonight? What up, man? Hanging in there. How are, how are you doing
0: tonight? I'm feeling dandy, Jerry. Thank you for asking.
1: Okay, so can somebody enlighten me on the directing career of Fred Durst? Because before this movie was coming out, I, I, Fred, I thought Fred Durst was dead. I thought Limp Bizkit died in 2004 maybe and I thought he crashed and burned with him so where did this whole directing foray come from
0: with, uh, with Mr. Durst? This is probably the most low key out of any of his movies. He did two films before. One starred Jesse Eisenberg and was called The Education of Charlie Banks and then he directed a big commercial vehicle with Ice Cube called The Long Shots and that was in 2008. So that was the last time he directed any kind of film
1: the long shots was that the one with like ice
0: cube like uh, training a young woman to be a football player or something like that I believe so yeah I think that was it and he actually you know what he has had an acting appearance on the failed adult swim show mostly for millennials I didn't
2: even know that was a thing
1: well speaking of speaking of failed things is fred durst even like a name that is synonymous with success how many limp biscuit fanatics do you run into on a daily basis, were any of you guys big Limp Biscuit boys in your skater days? Limp or... Biscuit boys.
2: No. De- Devin Sawa was a real big Limp Biscuit fan, as we find out in this movie. But <clears throat> as far as 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 the modern day Fred Durst notoriety, there's next to none. I didn't know that this was Fred Durst. I thought it might have been a different Fred Durst when I heard that it was Fred Durst that made this film, because there's there's no reason for Fred Durst to be attached to it. Nobody gives a fuck.
0: Well, that's not entirely true. I mean, it got it got screened at some festival, and John Travolta watched that, and then he immediately flew to Fred Durst's home to edit the movie. Or something. there was some kind of <laughs> there was some kind of headline like that where he saw the feedback to the movie, which was positive, but his interpretation of the movie said, "Oh no, 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 no." This is unacceptable. I have to do something about this. Which, for a guy who starred in Gaudy and was a trading paint and so many other direct-to-redbox films. Be cool with him and Uma Thurman and Cedric the Entertainer. Domestic Disturbance starring Vince
1: Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a guy who, whose library has just been unfettered with classics since... 25 years ago. You know what I think? He's kind (laughs) of like the anti-Nicholas Cage right now. Like Lores is saying, he's just in all these endless recyclable red box titles. But at least with Nicolas Cage, who does the same thing, those movies are fun. Those movies are great to watch, even if they're terrible, because he makes them better. John Travolta does not have that charisma. John Travolta has become a chore to look at. You think about a guy who, when he wait, what did he debut? I think in Carrie in 1976, and he was advertised as like this uh, this heartthrob and this absolute like going to be a superstar, and he was for a really short time. But now it's like when you see his face, it it needs to have a different prosthetic on it every time. I'm thinking of when he played um, Bob Shapiro in the O.J. Oh, yeah. Simpson show. And he looked like the he looked like the guy from fucking Elephant Man, in it with the prosthetic he had on his face. So, but,
0: but here's the thing: I don't know if I would say that he's the anti Nicholas Cage. There's something to it in that I, I I view them as very similar, but there's John Travolta is a more I, I he's just his his being in these films is somehow more subversive because he was a respected actor and just like a normal everyday average leading man guy, and he doesn't venture too far out of the park as far as exploring roles. This might be like the highlight of that, the the peak. But, you know, it's great that you reference American crime story because that's a great example of him just being his regular John Travolta self. But the external aspects of that being so kicked up a notch and it not fitting and vibing with things that it just makes it bizarre. And I think that was kind of the case with Gotti as well, where he was plopped into this movie did the best he could. And it's there's just so much around it that doesn't vibe with him, but he still marches forward anyway. I don't know. It just makes for a very weird spectacle. Are you telling me,
1: so he's competent enough, even at this juncture, do you think he's more likened for something like a Safdie film, who they're taking somebody like Adam Sandler and giving him this really bizarre kind of caricature look, and then... It's it's delivering something that looks pretty promising. So do you think Travolta would be somebody suited
0: for like a Safdie film? Possibly. I mean, it would depend on what the movie and what the role is like. Uh, it's very difficult to say at the same time, he might wind up being the worst part of something like that, because again, we look back at American Crime Story and was he the highlight? No, he added character to it by being so memorable and ridiculous. But he was maybe one of the worst actors in that cast.
2: That's, that's, and that's a big problem with John Travolta, like where he's at at this stage in his life is that he might not be nearly as good or entertaining as he was maybe 30 years ago, say, even something like a broken arrow, even that kind of like over the top version of him is way more entertaining than what he can put together now but he's got the notoriety that would put him in. I mean, I don't know too many directors that would turn down John Travolta just because the name attachment to it would get you a couple of bucks alone if it's, if it's promoted at all. So he's just in that weird spot where he used to be really talented and really good. And now kind of is about average, if not shitty in most of the stuff that he does, but he's still popular enough to get some of these roles that maybe could go to someone else and a project that has a, a bad spot in it with John Travolta could maybe do better because somebody with new talent could come in and breathe some life into this project which might have been which might have helped this film a little bit someone different than John Travolta not that he he does a, a good job if you're gonna go as far onto like the spectrum as this character goes, it's I get it. We get what he's trying to do, but if you would give a if you wanted a more restrained approach to this character, I think there's probably somebody else that could have done a lot better in the role, and it might have helped the film a little bit.
1: Did he do better than Sean Penn's imitation of a Down syndrome man? At least.
2: <laughs> That's the benchmark.
1: If you if you go past that, you're like, all right, okay, it could be worse.
0: If you got somebody to play a more accurately autistic uh, role here, that it maybe wouldn't have the same kind of uh, flair that the movie currently has. I think trying to perfect everything, if you get somebody who does that, then you wind up with a very bland performance. And what we have here is something extremely cartoonish and over the top. And considering... The nature of the film; it's not uh, dissimilar from what the material and what the editing style and everything surrounding it calls for. So, I think if if anything, I'm not going to make the argument that this is a great, amazing John Travolta performance. I actually think he's pretty, pretty good, pretty decent, uh, all things considered. But I think if if you didn't have that, that this is a much worse film.
2: Well, I, I see. I I don't think so. I think the story is fine. The fanatic concept isn't isn't terrible at all you know the robert de niro film that i've mentioned to you before the fan works in the same way and follows some of the same modes you know somebody tries to get in finally gets the attention of the person that they're obsessing over and in there there's more of a relationship between the characters but it's articulated in such a way that the character doesn't need to be nearly incapable for for me watching this film I'm, I question who the fuck feeds moose. This guy can't cook his own food, right? There's no fucking way. There's no way he can do a lot of the stuff you would need to do to be a 68 year old man, right? That yeah, yeah, yeah. And his how far he took it means that without like a nurse or. The young girl character, like, living with him and doing a lot of stuff means that there's, like, this gap in the believability of the character just because of how far John John Travolta takes it. I actually don't think it's a bad movie. I liked the film. Uh, It's not, again, like you said, it's not great, but I I liked it, and I liked John Travolta's performance, but I think that the narrative could be done again with... uh, a more dramatic tone to it because i thought most of most of this film was like funny yeah. to me a lot of those
0: those problems with the plot uh or at least with his character and how he exists and survives could have been solved if you just made that uh, female character a friend of his the name of the character is not coming to me at this moment if you just made that character his daughter
2: that explains yeah. away a, a whole uh, lot leah. of leah their relationship sort of functions like that already where she when she meets up with him she's like dude you can't do it They're like things like this things have to work like this so you could see he's he's too awkward to perform in the regular world and it it doesn't necessarily explain why she would hang around him anyways he's like almost he's, he's almost dangerously autistic I mean he is dangerously autistic right so what makes a 23-year-old photographer living in Los Angeles want to hang out with a 68-year-old man that could possibly just snap and choke her over a fucking, you know, uh, 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 autographed prop from a shit film? <laughs>
1: uh, I have to ask a question. So so, what do you guys make of Durst, then, as a director? Uh, so, lorez if you enjoyed elements of this movie, do you find him competent? Because if you tell me Fred Durst is making a movie, I'm, I'm just not watching it. I think.
0: So (laughs) he's just—I mean, it's—it's weird, right? Because in some ways, I would say he's extremely competent, and then in other ways, there are major problems in terms of uh, you know plot holes with this film. Like for example, Moose has a run-in with this uh, his fellow street performer. Moose is John Travolta's character. He dresses up as an English Bobby and goes out and tries to raise money that way, and.
2: Poppycock! Poppycock! <laughs> oh boy!
0: So he, he, right. he does this for a living, and he has a run-in with a street performer who's kind of an asshole. And this street performer has a partner. Him and the partner get into a scuffle. The partner goes off; he disappears. So the street performer tries to recruit Moose as his uh, his backup guy, right? But then, in the next scene, we see that the partner is back with the guy just unexplained. And then in the next scene that features that guy, the partner's gone and he needs Moose again. And there's a lot of weird cuts like that. Things that don't go in a narrative formation. Things that are not easily explained. Like later in the movie, we have a maid who is accidentally murdered by Moose. And she's just hanging out in the backyard throughout 50 minutes of the film. And finally, at the end, there's like a little pin put in things, even though You know, it could have been resolved like so much earlier and it wouldn't make sense. So there's a lot of story problems and editing problems as far as that goes, as far as the narrative goes. But taking a look at the style of the film, a lot of the odd illustrative transitions and uh, the choices uh, of the actors. Like actually, Leah, the girl who plays Leah, I can't tell if she's a bad actor or just suffered from bad editing. And there's a weird voiceover from her that is shoehorned in. And you can tell it was like a last minute thing to try and make sense of the overall story. And it doesn't really work. So there's a lot of problems as far as that goes. But it's an interesting – there are a lot of interesting creative decisions made with this film.
2: Okay. Well, I think my, my, my thing is, is I'm, I'm wondering if they didn't shoot some of the stuff they had planned to shoot. Right? Yes, that's because what it feels like. It, it feels like they it, ran out of money with does.
0: 25% of the movie left.
2: Right, right. That, so the the final, those animated transitions, those have got to be done in post. Those have, I mean, not just done in post, but they had to have been decided. Also, on
0: in post. I think, and I could be wrong about this. We, we'll have to check. I think I remember seeing John Travolta's name as a producer. So what probably would have happened was he put his own money into the project to try and get this movie done. Because I know it was made back in 2016, 2017. It sat around for a little bit. And then it just finally got released this year. Let me just check real quick. Um, but I think that's a, a probably a very sound theory that this movie was unfinished, uh, at least for a period of time.
1: Mm. Well, wait, to, to liken Durst maybe to somebody else that might be in his league, another you know, rock star of all people. So d- does he have similar issues to those that we tend to weed out of, the works of Rob Zombie, like he has a good eye for things, or something like that. But he, but in terms of like story and dialogue, he's just he he just pukes onto paper essentially.
0: Mm. I don't know. I I wouldn't uh, compare Rob Zombie and Fred Durst. I think Rob Zombie is much more competent all around than Fred Durst as a director.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I guess that was but my he, question. He could, yeah, because whereas Zombie has a style that even I can appreciate, even though I don't like a lot of the content in his films. So so Durst doesn't have anything yet where it's like you can say, oh, like, yeah, this is Fred Durst. He he's just kinda out there somehow networking, making movies, but there there's nothing really there just yet.
2: But see, here's a bit of the problem with Fred Durst is that it's not as if he's new to directing anything. He made almost all the Lip Biscuit videos. I mean, that some of them were extremely popular when they first came out. He directed those. He directed very popular videos within the genre of music that he made for other bands as well. He knows his way, you know, around a set. He understands at least how production is supposed to run. So it's strange to see sort of formulaic things done, things that you would kind of get almost on what, like a conveyor belt film is what some parts of this film feels like, especially in the script writing, but he's Completely inept when it comes to conveying the commentary he's trying to make. The the film has got the most shallow commentary, right? That sometimes fans take it too far. When Eminem does it in a song, the thing that he talks about is, is being out to dinner or lunch with his family, looking like a normal person and having people invade him. Or having the character Stan take everything that he said in music very literally up to the point of murdering somebody on his own and being like, ha ha, I'm better than you, Eminem. When Moose does essentially the exact same thing as Stan does, it's it's not a a, a deep and important commentary on the way fans treat celebrities. And instead is, it's very beat for beat, exactly what you would expect a celebrity would say about those interactions, not somebody who's looking to find out like what the bigger problem is with the way we perpetuate the myth of celebrity, but instead somebody who says like why don't why don't people just leave me alone? I always get these fucking retards coming up to me, asking me for a fucking autograph like that's that's the voice I hear in my head from Fred Durst when he comes up to this film you know it isn't it's not somebody who's trying to say, like, maybe the relationship between fans and celebrities should be, like, separated a little bit, and we should understand that these are all humans, but it's a very whiny fucking celebrity being like, you know, leave me alone. I don't want to have to deal with the fact that I'm I famous. think
0: I think the portrayal of that whole dynamic is very interesting when you keep in mind that, I guess, the idea of this film stemmed from Fred Durst having a moose that would bother him, that would show up at his house and stalk him. And he's very... Yeah, and with the story, I would say that he takes a more sympathetic point of view to that character, which is interesting to me.
2: Well, yeah. No, I, I, I don't disagree with that part. The problem is that the Devin Saba character is a dick, and moose is kind of unlikable in some of these situations rather than being uh, misled because of whatever his mental illness is he's i mean he is misled he's you just are like dude you've gone there a bunch of times everybody has told you don't go back there it seems like somebody like him would find another way to infiltrate the 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 I can't remember the character's Johnny name. Thunder. Find another way to Johnny. Thund- that's not it. <laughs> to find another way to uh, Hunter Dunbar. Hunter yeah. Dunbar. Like that name is so bad. I'd rather be called Johnny Thunder. <laughs> 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 but it's not. It's not the the harsh look at like fandom that maybe you would get from other people. But it doesn't have the competence within the script to articulate what exactly he was trying to get like you you can kind of get that okay yes yeah, celebrities might be dirtbags and fans maybe attach themselves too much you can help him out a little bit but i i don't i don't necessarily think that he has the capability of somebody like rob zombie when it comes to hey this is what i want to say about this thing i mean and it, it is it is exactly that he's not nice to anyone the guy that's trying to help him out to get hunter dunbar's autograph tells him hey tomorrow hunter dunbar's gonna be here this is the first thing that happens in the movie and and moose goes why didn't you tell me that you know i got other shit going on like he gets he gets pissed instantly there's no balance i think the leah character needed to be that balance right where he approaches her kind and sympathetically and you you see that the guy's not a dick, and maybe he's just combative because he has to live for like I said, like seventy years as an autistic person. Where because without that, you just get this kind kind of a dick. It seems like he's choosing to be a dick to everybody else, but his autism makes him like Hunter Dunbar.
0: Do you think that was Fred Durst just giving up on the film and trying to humiliate John Travolta? <laughs> just tra- just feeding him lines. <laughs> Like, like, not unlike maybe we do from time to time where it's just like, hey, why don't you say this? Actually, ha- do this line. Try that. And then putting that in the final cut.
1: No, no, I got a question. Oh, uh, th- with what Jerry was saying about that real kind of whiny attitude he picked up on, do, then is this maybe one of those movies that's a little too self-important for its own good, that it doesn't see those glaring uh, issues that it has, like with dialogue or with, direction or whatnot because it takes its own premise way too seriously might it be one I, of those movies
0: i i don't think so i i think this movie is very aware of what it is and did the best that it could do with the material <clears throat> granted that was my take anyway what do you guys think
2: well i think john i think john travolta at some point kind of realized that maybe the narrative they're pushing and the film they're making don't necessarily work perfectly together so he needs to add something to the character. And like Hans is saying, maybe he had some free range and could ad-lib a little bit. That that tells me that, okay, this isn't a snobby film in general. Maybe Fred Durst initially taking it, you know, was kind of had his own head up his ass a little bit. Like I said, there's a whole scene where Devin Sawa is rocking out to Limp Biscuit and at very... He literally says, "Oh, do you like Limp Biscuit? I used to love Limp Biscuit. This is really good." And it plays for. I had a, I had it written down the time it it goes on. He, they play like a good thirty seconds of a Limp Biscuit song, but not to where Fred Durst starts with lyrics. Just the, the the patented yeah. <laughs> oh. That
0: but that that makes me think that he is so self aware of this movie and how ridiculous it's going to be, that. It's the complete opposite of any kind of pretension.
2: Right, right. Well, it, may, maybe. Initially, I thought that maybe that scene in itself is something that... it's It's that self-insert that a really pretentious writer might do. But when you get to parts, you know, Moose getting up to the piano and playing his his you you shake my nerves and you rattle my nerves and he's just like screaming hitting the piano and then running around the house with his fucking antlers like obviously no one's taking that shit seriously but when you get to the part where uh, Hunter Dunbar he's passed out in his chair from his sleeping pills and Moose enters the like you're, you're looking at uh, Hunter Dunbar's long take and Moose enters the frame and comes and walks and stands in front of him and then just sits down in the chair and starts rocking. And I I, I I, shit you not, if we could get a fucking shot list. They filmed that very early on in the whole shooting. Because the tone of that scene is very dark, very scary. You think, fuck, th- this, this is going to end up being a, a fucking stabbing. It gets goofy after a little bit. But initially... You can see the film has maybe two or three different tones that it tried out before it settled on this Definitely. almost cartoonish take on fandom.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. If there's one problem that this movie has, it, it's that it's not tonally consistent. I don't think the tone has to be uniform with the movie itself necessarily. I think you can probably, I mean, it, it depends on how it's executed, but that is a major problem with this film. What did you guys think of uh, some of the performances here besides John Travolta?
2: I think I've only seen him in a couple other things, but De- Devin Sawa was fine. Like, I thought the Hunter Dunbar character, although poorly written, executed really well. The He was a dick. He does kind of have the, the charm that you would want from somebody who you're supposed to kind of like and kind of understand, like, oh, he's being invaded. His privacy is being invaded. Yeah, I think the writing didn't help him so much, but I thought... Sawa did a good performance nobody else is really in the film so it's kind of hard to I mean that Leah girl did suck but, but she, really she she selectively sucked
0: like Devin Sawa I can say right. gave it like a consistent performance I thought he was probably the best actor in this movie which is g- cool maybe maybe telling <laughs> um considering I mean what is he known for he's known for final destination right or Idle Hands. And, yeah, 90s and, comedies. And like SLC Punk. Sure. Yeah. So and I mean he was in the he was in the sequel, I believe. He was the only guy from that first movie to do the sequel except for Bob. Oh, that's right. If you remember Bob I who get- dies in the first movie, he comes back as a fat ghost, as a fat old ghost looking like Uncle <laughs> Fester. <laughs> Great Good choice. Idea.
2: But the fi- the film it It takes place in really only like three places. That's why I don't know, I don't know what the budget would have been spent on other than people's paychecks. But if John Travolta might have paid out of his own pockets, I don't know where the money went to, because they filmed in one house, they filmed on a a street in Hollywood, and in the back of a well inside in the back of like a fan uh, Hollywood Hollywood fucking souvenir shop essentially that's it though
0: i mean it's entirely possible there were other aspects to this movie that we haven't seen that maybe hopefully would have tied things together a little bit and just due to budgetary
2: reasons they had to pull out of that prematurely and it wound up
0: getting cut
2: well see that's what i think those that's what i think those animated transitions are scenes that they plan to shoot in their shot list that they couldn't get to uh, that would have rounded out the story a little bit, especially the the final scene where they walk off into the distance. And you're like, okay, is he going to get his hand fixed? And then it cuts to this animation of he's a pirate and works the same job. Where it's uh, okay, that's cool, but was it is it really going to take that much money and time to just film the next scene after they walk off? John Travolta's dressed as a pirate with a hook on his hand. It's, I don't I don't think. That's the most expensive or time-consuming shot. Doesn't even have to have see that lives. kind of description. Of that, this Con.
1: movie should be way better. If you picture John Travolta as a pirate with a hook hand, I want a better. I want a oh, much yeah. better movie. If that's what I'm getting,
2: a legit, a legit one-eyed fucking no, no finger pirate that happens he so gets stabbed in the eye maybe ice, they should have john
1: travolta uh star in a remake of Ernest the pirate the only Ernest movie that hasn't been released because jim varney died i would oh. watch that movie should be oh, the body shit. double
0: it should just be the back of john travolta's head in every shot where they couldn't get jim varney <laughs> because he was he was he was too Bald at the time. yeah what did you guys think of what, what did you think of the ending of this movie I mean, I guess with a character like Moose, it wouldn't exactly be clear how he would view Hunter Dunbar or his ideal relationship with him. But it, it, it feels almost gay at times, and then it feels parental, and then it... I don't know. It jumps around between so many things. You don't know what his real desire is with this d celebrity figure.
2: Yeah, the, the whole tying him to the bed thing, I don't know if that's... See, that's a thing, too, is... Not knowing how actually competent Fred Durst is as a filmmaker because there seems to be too many limitations on this film to really get like a flavor for him. Uh, I can't tell if it's an homage to misery or if it's like a, a direct ripoff you know, to have this uber fan of a of somebody who works in the biz strap somebody to a chair or to a to a bed and then Right, th- threaten their life in some way or try to nurture them in some way, which is like some of the things that happen in those situations. There's this, dr- and there's this editing choice where about halfway through this interaction with Devon Sawa tied up on the bed, it becomes like a dream sequence, and there's you're not sure if it's happening exactly the way that you're seeing. Or if maybe this is John Travolta or Moose imagining that this is going on. It doesn't make any sense. Devon Sawa very easily tricks John Travolta. He's just like, hey, untie me now and fucking we'll be friends. And he's like, okay, cool. I'll do it. That sounds like a good idea. I I'd think second best guess at all. It, it's it's strange. But I like the aesthetic that's applied in that, in that whole scenario. I think that maybe it's a little over the top to think that Devin Sawa would get the the imaginary shotgun from above his bed and then blow off. They could have established
0: that shotgun being there too, and it would have at least felt almost realistic, as opposed to just surprise. We have a gun right above his head in the bedroom. You never saw it. It's not in any shot, but here
2: it is. Well, he mentioned it this is another thing that i think is indicative of of possibly that fred durst wants to be a good director but just can't that he knows that he should set up that there's a shotgun but what he does is he has devon sawa kind of mentioned it one time in a dialogue rather than showing it being there or having a reason for it to be there or something so would you say that's
1: kind of like and, a dose ex machina type thing where it just kind of like pops up oh yeah. yeah
2: okay it literally comes from above him. <laughs> like, it, it, I mean, if if any other director had done it, I would have thought it was like religious symbolism in their film. But I don't think Fred Durst has the the, the capability of creating subtext in, in his content. But he, he does. He just pulls it right off the thing. And I think that the turn to blowing the fingers off and stabbing in the eye is it's cool or whatever, but it's not totally consistent with what the film has been setting I, up. I
0: don't think it's, it's too inconsistent with that character, though, where he kind of goes in and out of this, this fake Hollywood role when he approaches Moose, when he has to put on that tough guy act. You can see that he's kind of forging it a little bit, and then he does it for real, and he sickens himself because he knows he's gone too mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. And then the rest just doesn't make any sense at all, where Hunter Dunbar doesn't call the police or whatever. I mean, I guess in California especially he would have been in trouble for doing that to a home intruder that's cruel and unusual but
2: no he would have been 100 percent fine that's stabbing the him in the Is eye after shooting him? anything well i i mean you would just argue that you got into a fight right you're this guy's been stalking you for weeks i get to tell the cops no after i shot his fingers he laid down on the ground and crying and i stabbed him in the eye no you would just be like you fucking attacked me Tied me up to the bed, and I had to defend myself. And he wouldn't stop after I blew his fingers off. You could lie, the motherfucker doesn't even try to lie. He just like, okay, yeah, I, uh, cops came to my house. Yep, dead. There's a dead maid out there. Uh, I know. You, we. I never saw her. The. Yeah. It, they set up the gardener, and the gardener's the one that finds the body, but you never see the gardener find the body. They set up the gardener forever ago, and all he had to do was just film uh, this Mexican dude walking in the grass and looking down, and there's a maid. That's all they had to do one time, but they didn't. I think because it's
0: such a mess, it somehow comes out on the other side just a little bit. It peeks its head up after digging a hole straight through the bottom Uh, You know, and it makes itself a memorable movie that is watchable.
2: Yeah, with with this cast, it needs to have that tonally that tonal inconsistency that allows for some scenes to be funny, even if they don't, even if the director and actors don't want them to be funny. Uh, I think that you need the the mooses in the house scene or the poppycock scene. You need that shit just because it it helps develop the character's instability while also demonstrating like their, the fanaticism there's the story itself can be done in a different way and it comes out just fine. But with this, this group, this production, I think we got the, the best case scenario out of it. That's a
1: real small club of films too. That kind of suit that bill of uh, kind of memorable in spite of themselves. It, that's a really small I think niche of movies so to hear if, if this is one of those that's interesting to me because like you guys said it's visually not very very appealing its story is all over the place the acting is okay at best but it's subject matter or it's just innate messiness is what gets you through and keeps you interested yeah that that's that's very interesting to me that it's something that you'll, you'll probably remember a few years down the road somehow, even though it has nothing too great to offer.
0: I can say that this movie is absolutely one of the most memorable films I can recall in recent memory. Uh, again, because I think we've gotten to a point where so many really good movies strive a little too hard for perfection and they wind up sterilizing the end product to make the film itself forgettable within a period of time. I don't think that the the fanatic is a forgettable movie.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that you could tell somebody to watch the fanatic. It's pretty funny, and they would come out of it and be like, "Yeah, that that was that was pretty funny." And if in a few weeks you wanted to just come up to them and say "poppycock," and they would be like, "Oh yeah, that, that's from that fucking movie."
1: <laughs> that fryer haircut or like the reverse fryer haircut. Jesus,
2: Friar mullet. <laughs> that there's probably but like i said the script or the shot list has got to have some some shots in there that would elaborate on some of the story a little bit more or build on some of the relationship between moose or leah but without that stuff it lets you enjoy the absurdity that's like every few minutes either the dialogue is completely fucking crazy or the thing that's going on makes almost no sense, which is, it's funny. It's good.
1: So maybe Fred Durst is like,
2: uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe
1: he's like a latter day Tommy. Wiseau. So who, who knows? May, may is. So is he, is that what we're saying in this podcast?
2: <laughs> he's just for sure. A director with no ultimate vision. He's definitely someone who, uh, wants to be in charge of the directorial process of and, and work in the business in some way, but he doesn't have a master plan for what his filmmaking legacy is going to be. There's n- nothing, no signature that he leaves on this film that you could say, like, ah, that's Fred Durst, unless the next film that he does also has a 30-second clip of somebody just listening to Limp Bizkit.
0: Yeah, I I would say he's somebody with a good eye for certain aspects of the process, but that it's not cohesive enough. So I would just be parroting a lot of what you just said, Jerry. I think he could potentially make a good film that makes sense within two or three movies that that, that he could attempt, but um, I I don't see it happening anytime soon.
2: Uh, I don't know. Like, I would say... The film is not nearly as bad as I think Like a lot of uh, YouTube film reviewers want you to think it is. It's not the so-bad-it's-good type film where every second of it is hilarious because of how bad it is. There's times when you might enjoy what's going on, and there's times it's just going to be funny or kind of dumb or whatever. But I don't think it's nearly the the the, the dumpster fire that I think some of the critics and reviewers have called it. It's, not a, it's really not that bad of a Do film. Do you think
0: that it deserved to earn more than
2: $3,000
0: at the box office?
2: <laughs> Fuck, dude. I wonder... So I wonder what the deal is with that. Why it would have released in the box office without any marketing. Right. I, right? It, that doesn't make any I sense. I think that
0: that might be a ploy, or the headlines might just be kind of disingenuous, because a movie like this would make the bulk of its revenue off of streaming and it actually i if i recall correctly this is a red box feature film right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the first time i've seen yeah. that
1: they they had another one I mean, earlier can... this year with like bob sag and whatnot so i think this oh, is their right. second yeah this is this is their second feature that they've sponsored hey hey i'm happy for them they're they're a good service and uh if they if they could like make their own platform and everything it Kind
2: of compete with others. Hey, go for it. Jake likes that Redbox. <laughs> I think Red Redbox is onto something there. They have a, a good format. I think a lot of people use it. But it's weird. Like I said, it's weird to put the film out and not have it marketed if, you, if you're if you going to put it out in the cinema. that That's something that's... You can't just put a film in, in a theater and expect people to show up and buy the ticket right then and there. You show up in a theater expecting to see... The th- you know, you go because you want to watch a certain film. You don't just go and say, hey, what's there? You look it up online and then you go see the fucking movie you want to see, especially now in 2019. It makes more sense to drop that on a streaming service or right in the red box, right out the gate. That way there are no negative reviews from the two guys that are going to go see it uh, at, the, hmm. at, at the theater, right? And people will get it on a whim maybe you make your money back regardless of if it's good or not because so many people get it on a whim that that there's a movie called like transmorphers uh, i saw the director of that film talk about how they they made more money than they expected they lost money but they made more money than they expected because they didn't tell anybody about it and they just put it in i think it was hollywood videos or something like that they put it in whatever chain they could for dvd rentals and people accidentally yeah. got it expecting to get trans transformers yeah, it's a- so just f- pump it out somewhere yeah i remember no, seeing that, that, that one it was on the, the, the
1: sci-fi channel when they specialized in more campy movies rather than what they're doing now which is uh nah, they're yeah. just selling out they're just selling out to want to be comic book nerds now which i hate uh so anyway yeah. I don't know. I find it a
0: very predatory practice to just prey upon fog brained adults who who can't be bothered to pay attention to the the actual title of the movie when checking out. You know, they're just trying to surprise their son with a gift like, Ooh, I got the movie you wanted to see. Oh wait, sorry. No, not quite. Anyhow, The Fanatic, what a great movie. I loved it. I have it at number thirteen on my list of films for the year. How about that? Well
2: then, does that all right, there you go.
0: It, it might be actually around like 17 or 18 at this point, but last I remember, I did have it at number 13 just because there's so many unmemorable films that have come out this year. Although I will say that 2019 is turning it around in the last quarter. Maybe we'll get into that on the next show. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for the next episode, we'll be talking about Joker, directed by uh, Todd Phillips, known for his movies Old School and The Hangover Part Two.
2: The GG G. Allen documentary Hated,
0: which he made by selling uh, John Wayne Gacy paintings, I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a very yeah.
0: interesting history there. All right, we'll be getting into that. Thank you for listening.